podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This summer, L.L. Bean invites you to simply step outside and enjoy the fresh air and sunshine. We'll be your guide with tips and advice to get more out of every moment outdoors. Here's a trick to estimate how much time you have left outside before the sun sets. Stretch out your arm and hold your hand sideways, palm facing up. Every finger between the horizon and the sun is 15 minutes of daylight. For more fun ideas, easy how-tos, and inspiring stories, visit llbean.com guide. It is the Blue Room on Radio City Talk, your weekly show. Oh, dear <laughs> me. Got to start with a big sigh there. Dave Downey and Hannah Farrell in the studio with me, and we're going to get into that Newcastle game. What on earth happened in those last few minutes there for Everton? And just a heads up as well, coming later in the show. A big congratulations to Graeme Sharp on his appointment in his new position at the football club this week. Uh, as a little celebration of that, we're going to play some of our very own Dave Downey's conversation with him earlier in the season where we had, well, they had the chat for the Diaries of an Old Lady series. Um, it was an interesting, for anyone who's not listened to those yet, Dave, um, great conversations with, with a lot of different people about the memories of Goodison Park and, and certainly that one with Graeme Sharp. Which which kicked off the series was was a great listen. Well, it felt the most appropriate thing to do, didn't it? To yeah. kick it off with Sharpie, given the prestige he's got, the record he's got, Everton's greatest post-war goal scorer. It's only Dixie Dean who scored more goals for the club than us, so it felt apt to start it with him, and he didn't disappoint. Uh, it's it's a really good insight into that time. Um, for anyone who doesn't know the concept, basically with Goodison nearing an end, um, well, hopefully. Obviously not hopefully in the sense that we want to leave Goodison, but you get what I mean. Um, and we're going to Bramley Moor. We've decided to get as many people as possible to talk about their three greatest memories of Goodison or three best memories. They don't have to be good. Mm. Fortunately, so far, we haven't had any bad ones. We'll wait for wow. my turn. For that. <laughs> but, That's um, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, the games, each everyone gets to choose their three games yeah. and we sit there and go through them in depth. Um, so we've got everything from fans, journalists and a load of former players as well and Sharpie was the first one uh, and no surprise, I think a popular one on most people's lists mm. is the 84-85 Cup Winners Cup semi-final against Bayern at Goodison and um, just to hear firsthand what it was like going through that 90 minutes with them was something uh, I'll probably cherish for a long time um, so yeah, hope you'll enjoy it a little bit later on and the full series is on the Patreon service, and yeah. uh, we're going for season two as well, aren't we? In the summer, yeah, certainly will be. Yeah, so so plenty more to that. come as well. Um, yeah, as Hannah said, every <laughs> last night's game, we'll we'll get into that. Um, you were saying there before we, we came on air, Hannah, that you left the ground yeah, two 0 and yeah. thought it was all going to be fine. I left the Your ground fault then. at ninety <laughs> minutes. Got to the car as a parking ticket, and it was two two. I mean, Everton like in that, show, yeah. Yeah, 2-2, I left praising people like Delve Schneider and everyone saying I've had a good game for us, best game that Delve has in a blue shirt, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And then I get in the car and it's 2-2. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what was going on. I seen people tweeting like, oh, mate, what was that? Good um, win from the boys, because everyone was like, well, we've won. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand <laughs> what happened. I, I, was, I was thinking that, actually, Dave, that there would have been people who... I've left Goodison on 90 minutes with like no battery on the phone. Got a, got the tr- got the train home on their own or something like that. You know, beat beat the rush. Got in the car. Maybe put on some music, thinking it, it's all well and good. And then he probably woke. There, there will be someone out there who's woken up this morning and Evertonian, not realizing that we drew that game. Someone will have got in the car, put the Everton playlist on blast because yeah. we won the game and people will be just looking at them driving down the roads. You know what really happened, mate? Put our post match on with me and Nick and everyone going, why are these, why are these so miserable? Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. quite good, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, uh, th- there were a few good stories flying around. I think a couple of lads went to the toilet 
and oh. and he heard while he was still doing what they were doing in the toilet and um, just heard the roar of the Newcastle fans. I heard a roar when we were walking out, but we just thought it's terrifying all this and sort of everyone made up. Mm. I, like, that is the last thing I thought. I had to, like, Google it and check it because I was like, surely that can't be right. I left with a comfortable game, Moise Keane's first goal, praising everybody. I don't know how that happens. Mm. Yeah, well, we, we'll do a bit of a positive talk in the second part because I think there was... There was good things to take from it, but we have got to talk about that last minute. I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen it back, Hannah, and just to put yourself put yourself through it again. It was like two games, wasn't it? I mean, you, you can take the first ninety three minutes mm. and say it was comfortably the best performance under Ancelotti, probably the best performance of the season. If we're going to go Definitely. that far, mm. and then you've got ninety seconds. It's ninety minutes versus ninety seconds, isn't it? Where it just is is complete and total chaos. Well, I think what sums it up is you. I've I've seen a Twitter video of the corner for their first goal and the celebrations of their second goal so you can fit it into a two minute 20 to a video you know it, it all happened that quickly yeah. you know we've seen the you know the, the shot which will become sort of iconic I imagine of the you know the score little broadcaster scoreboard where it's 2 and Everton it's 93 oh yeah and it says like four. how am I meant to tell my kids that Everton doesn't win this game yeah. <laughs> but I mean how does something like that happen Dave, it, it's it's even now when you know reflecting on it last night with Nick, it was sort of raw, and you know we're doing the instant match reaction, and we didn't quite know. But having watched it back again, you, you can just pick out so many little things that have gone on in that where you think you've got to do that better, you've got to do that better. Mm. And I just think ultimately that it was so comfortable, and they played so well, and the game was peeing out, yeah. peeing out so much. It wasn't a sense of Newcastle clawing the way back in and banging on the on the door, and you know putting us under loads of pressure. It was just total and utter complacency on Everton's part and a few players' part that, that gave them a route back into the game that they probably didn't think they were going to get. And well, on the, on the evidence of what went before, it didn't deserve. Well, I think they beat themselves more than Newcastle, really, uh, because everything that happened was because of our own our own doing. And mm. I, I agree with you. I think we were too comfortable. Even at half time, we were only one 0 up, and Newcastle didn't even look like they wanted to be there. To me, Steve Bruce quite clearly would have taken a point. Given their injury situation, they got the win against Chelsea. He's probably thinking, Chelsea home, Everton away. I'd probably take two draws from that. They'd already had a win in the pocket. Yeah. I felt like this was a, a free hit for Newcastle, and he probably felt the same as did many of their fans, because um, he didn't bring that many up uh, to, to Liverpool. And it felt like there was just a great deal of complacency when we got to that point. I mean, that that moment when Nias gets the ball on the halfway line and we have a 2v2 break... And I'm no idea, and and I know he's he's not a good footballer. He shouldn't be playing in the Premier League. We know that. We've known that for several years now. I think um, somebody tweeted that this is his seventh different manager he's played under, uh, Umanias, <laughs> and that that touch that gives it straight to the Newcastle defender. You know, you can pick various moments in that spell yeah, where you're like, yeah. if he'd have just done that, if he'd have just told he'd out of play, if he'd have found Rosehead, all that sort of thing. Fact is, they didn't. Fact is, they thought they, they sort of got a little bit too clever when Luca Dean and Tom Davis are trying to knock the ball back around at the back. That that itself, I think, is a manifestation of what we've been like as a club, and that is when they see the slightest bit of respite from what has been a torrid few years for most of them. Tom Davis, not least, Luca Dean this season. They probably think oh, I want to enjoy this. Uh, this is this is the minute where like we're, we're probably going to get vindicated for a really good performance, rather than put me foot through it and getting up the pitch. We're winning two 0 There's seconds left. 
I'll just have a little, express myself a little yeah. bit, you know what I mean? And that, that's where your complacency does seep in. There's no professionally. And that, that's why I do probably think people who've spoken about leadership and things like that, look at Dean the captain last night, wasn't he? Um, that doesn't happen under, under a decent leader, I don't think. Um, for all that Hannah said about Fabian Delph, I, I thought it was his best game in Everton Shirt. I do agree with that. Mm. But then somebody who's come in with this reputation, self, self-build reputation of being this leader amongst men and an organiser and somebody will shout somebody down if they've done something wrong. Players like that need to step up to the fore when, you, when you're seeing out a game like that. But I, I really, I think if you've the nail on the head, I think it was far too comfortable for us to even worry about Newcastle getting a shot in, let alone scoring. But the way the way little signs towards the last 10 minutes, I thought, where we we tried the extravagant pass. I think there's a minute where Sadibi gets the ball and he could just simply lay it back into one of the full-backs yeah. um, or one of the centre-halves, and he tries to turn, he loses the ball, and Newcastle get on the attack. Make no mistake about it, though, Newcastle didn't, didn't want to know in that game. They did not want to know, and they must be sitting here this morning like the cat that got the cream, and Steve Bruce, Steve Bruce looked embarrassed to be shaking Ancelotti's hand. At the well, he effectively said that, didn't he? He said, well, I didn't apologise for it, but, you know, yeah. I, 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 I wasn't for it. But, but he shouldn't be apologising for no. it, because obviously he'll take what he can get, but also yeah. his team has done nothing. The thing he's almost embarrassed about is the fact that Everton won that game in all but the scoreline. Yeah. And that's what makes it so difficult to digest. I think, for me, Hannah, what what says a lot about the mentality of this team is what happens after we concede the first goal. Yeah. And, you know, the lads are getting back into the shape after kick-off and the Newcastle player asks the referee how long's to go and he gives it one finger, you know, there's one minute left. And you're thinking there, surely this is a team capable of seeing out that, that last minute. One minute. And we get the ball from the kick-off. It comes back to Fabian Delph. And instead of giving it to one of his teammates to keep hold of and then laying it back to the keeper and wasting a bit of time like that, it's just dumped straight into the corner <laughs> and given back to Newcastle. And I think that... I think a team that's, that's fully assured in themselves and fully confident in themselves just keeps the ball there for 30 seconds. It goes back to Pickford, you know, and then you put it into the yeah. corner and turn them round. I think the fact that we did that is indicative of a team that is still panicking and still yeah. a little bit unsure of themselves in those situations. That's always been my biggest problem with Everton, and I'd say for the past couple of seasons or so, they act like the ball's on fire. They'll yeah. never play any football. They panic and don't know where to put it. They don't feel... Not know where they'll aimlessly put it somewhere, yeah. not look for anyone around them, or they'll panic and not know what to do with him. Like you said, he could have put that back to Pickford at anything. He was panicking because he didn't know what to do with the ball. And it's such a shame because he played really well. Mm. He was like the Delphi sort of villa last night. He played so well. And even Schneiderland did. Yeah. They played like a team. They didn't have that, like, like all about themselves attitude last night. They played as a mm. team, it integrated so well. So it's the fact that they couldn't. They didn't know what to do with a ball for 60 seconds is a really worrying thing. Yeah. And when you when you put it down in those simplistic terms like that, they, that, that is a worry, isn't it? You know, they couldn't see out 60 seconds of a game. And, you know, after Delft does that, there's, you know, a litany of mistakes again. You know, I think it's Tom Davis who gives away a cheap free kick, isn't it? You know, and gives them the opportunity to pump it into the box. They switch off from that. Newcastle play it short and, you know, you can carry it forward 10 yards. The ball comes in and Davis misses the header. Holgate and Mina somehow end up behind the goal, and then it, all, all sorts of chaos comes on. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just really disappointed with that that little spell after we we kicked off. And I, and I know it might seem minor. I know people could say you've got to defend the set piece better, but if you not if you play five passes there after kick off and lay it back to the goalkeeper, the game's over. Yeah, that's that's game basic game management, isn't it? That's what you get taught when when you're young, when you're a kid. 
you see how time in a game of football, you know, that that to me is something that you'd see a gang of 11, 11 aside on, on a, you know, a pitch around Liverpool, amateur stuff where you just play into the final where nobody's really bothered about the result. They just want to keep play the game football, going. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if you've ever done it before. Whenever you've, if you've played sports or five aside or whatever and you're playing a team and they start time wasting and everyone starts having a go at them, even their own teammates are like, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, yeah. this it's meant to be a game of footy. This why you're yeah. wasting time. It felt, it felt like that. Like, And we're the professional entity here. Um, trying to see how to result, but it felt like oh, I'll just keep keep going and see what happens. And there was there was no calm on it. Um, there was it felt like a great deal of inexperience from a group of experienced players. And the the most shameful thing is it undo it undid so many good things we could be sitting here talking about, which we will still talk about. Yeah. Because for me, I think that's how I want Everton to play under Carlo Ancelotti, and I'm pretty sure that's how he wants us to play mm. for that ninety minutes. There, it, 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 it was brilliant for the most part. Players who we've deemed useless, actually, we found use from. And, and that's a, a big credit to them mm. and him. We haven't seen it a lot, and a lot of them are probably going to go if he had his way. But the fact he's getting something out of them is, is a big thing for him. It's a big shot in the arm for everybody else because the, the squad we've got, we know, is substandard all over the place. Mm. Um, to undo it that way, though, leaves the sourest of t- sour tastes in your mouth. Mm. And... You wonder what effect it has. I'm, I'm personally glad we don't play for ten days now. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think it's the type of thing that would have the effect that Rigi's goal at Anfield that time had. And do you remember we had two home games immediately following that against Newcastle and Watford? Everyone was just flat. Yeah. yeah. And we were lucky to come out of that with two draws. And it feels like that now. It feels like if we were to play a game tomorrow, people couldn't get this out their minds. So I think that the time, obviously, time heals, doesn't it? I think I think that's. Well, if you know, if, if we if Watford was this weekend and we won them up in the last five, can you imagine? You're the panic? Can you imagine yeah. the panic? Well, yeah, you're petrified anyway. I think it's just yeah. your natural inclination right now, given what's gone in the years gone by, that we feel that way. But oh, it, it's just a sickening. And, and and I said to you, I, I laughed more than anything else because it is so typical of this football club, and it shows and that it's the sad because everybody yeah. laughs. We have all. Says what was about how Everton. Mm. Nobody was shocked that that happens, and that's the worst thing. Mm. And for me, like what you were saying there, I enjoyed watching the mass last night. Mm. I wasn't annoyed at anything. I thoroughly enjoyed watching the game last night. And when you were saying then not to get over it, it was that first like what ninety minutes was like getting over what happened in the FA Cup. It undid a lot of bad mm. things what happened there for me. Yeah. So then it was just to get in the car and see that. And to not be shocked by it, that's awful. But that was it for me. It really did undo the bad things from earlier this month, showing a bit of promise and going up the whole of the first half and the majority of the second half did that. Yeah. Mm. Um, Dave, you set the agenda last night for this show, effectively, when you said, it's about, is it time we have a chat about the goalkeeper? <laughs> um, some people have given us a bit of stick for singling them out for, for criticism. I, I put a question out myself last night in regards to where people are with him and, you know, most of the overwhelming negative response. And, you know, that could be emotional responses after the game but it sort of continued through today and I think we've spoken tensively on here about, about Jordan Pickford before and some of the worries we, we have of him um, certainly the first goal last night you've got to say he's culpable for he comes out and, and flaps it across um, but, but for me it's there was a spell towards the end of that game where on about 75 minutes I sort of thought you not have much to do but he's not got involved with the Newcastle fans he's not made any really poor decisions and then there was a little spell I think it was after 80 where he gives the ball away cheaply 
twice, uh, sorry, three times in the space of two minutes. He plays one pass out of play on the right, I think, one out to Luca Dean when he's under pressure on the left, and then he throws the ball out to Seamus Coleman when he's got three men around him, and Carlo Angelotti loses it, his apoplectic on the sidelines, giving him loads. And I think it's it's the things like that which are more of a concern for me when it comes to Pickford. I've got issues about his, you know, claiming crosses, him under the high ball, but it, he just seems as though he needs to get involved and do flashy things when there's absolutely no need for it. And and I think while those things I mentioned there, that little two minute spell wasn't the you know didn't result in goals necessarily. It, it sort of resulted in a, an anxiousness and you know a loss of momentum that we had in the game. And I think people now are starting to question this lad ultimately. Well, th- my opinion on him, I'll, I'll leave for a second. It, just discussing him in this game. The commentator in the match, it got to about 70. And Pickford sort of ran out a few yards, knocked the ball to the centre-halves. So one of them gave him it back and he was playing like a like another a third centre-half, really. Which I think is what he, he probably sees himself as when, when Everton are controlling games. Obviously not that often, but I think that's what he probably sees his role as. And the commentator said, Jordan Pickford, desperate to get into this game. Why, why would the goalkeeper think that? Why? But he's right, he's right. That, that's how it feels with Jordan that he does need to be involved in some capacity. Um, you know, if, if we're playing well, which, again, is very, very rare in the last um, months and years, but it does feel as if, like, when he gets the ball, he can't simply pump it up for Calvert-Lewin to win a flick-on, who we know is brilliant at that now. It's one of the main facets of his game, to win those flick-ons and try and retain possession and hold the ball up. It's got to be one of those sidewind kicks that's got to get someone on the run, or it's got to be... 30, 40, 50 yard ball out to one of the one of the wingers or, or the fullbacks if they've pushed up. There's there's a time and a place for that, and I think an, an experienced goalkeeper, which he now is, should be able to manage that situation a lot better. Um, the, the ironic thing is, he he puts a lot of balls out of play, as we know anyway, when he's trying to be so pinpoint with his passing. We could could have probably done with a couple of them <laughs> going out of play, but yeah, I, th- I think there's a there's a showmanship to Jordan Pickford that I think's a, a Something that he needs to look at seriously. I think when you look at the second We've been goal, this for a while though, haven't we? Yeah, but if you look at the, the second goal and that screenshot that's doing the rounds where somebody's uh. superimposed the cartoon version of him <laughs> uh, behind the line, which I, which I think is really funny. Um, he's behind the line, obviously, and people are saying, "Oh, he's not to blame for the goal." Okay, I, I'll, I'll go with that. He's he's there as a result of moving when the first shot comes in from Newcastle and it hits Calvert Lewin's head and goes back to them. Mm. He, his body's sort of taking him into the goal. If you look at the way he moves, it's really extravagant. It's like he, he, he sort of wants so to. When, wants, when that yeah. when that long ball comes in as well, he's he's agitated. He yeah. goes he goes to go for it and then comes back, and even that creates a bit of yeah. panic, doesn't it? But in this in this sort of showman type of angle, I'm going for here. He he moves his body in a way that is like he he's doing it for the cameras. That that type of thing, if you if you get yeah. what I mean, it feels as if when when he's making a save like the one at West Ham, that everyone was either raving about or saying he probably should have caught it. I, I I'll admit I'm edging towards the latter of the two in those options because I think it's 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 about a foot next to him. Mm-hmm. It's good reactions, but you'd be disappointed if he didn't save it. But he, he flicks it over the bar with his hand and then and then dives like full in the air. And it feels to me that that's a side to him there. You know, you're talking about he always wants to be involved in the game. I think that's why. Mentally, he thinks, "Oh, I need to make this look good. I need to make this a little bit of the Jordan Pickford show." Definitely. That's not to do away from his skills as a goalkeeper, because I think he's a really talented keeper. But there are areas like that that 
stand out starkly in, in contrast to the rest of, of his game. I couldn't agree with that showmanship thing more. I was only saying this earlier. I think it's what I'm calling it, Joe Hart syndrome. You're England's number one. You get too big for your boots and you get cockier than your own ability. Mm. And I think that's exactly what happens with Pickford. I think because he's England's number one, he thinks he's bigger than he is, basically. And especially he's sons and supported, isn't he? Mm. So he loves giving Newcastle fans loads. Mm. And I think that's the type of game where he takes on that overconfident character a lot more with wanting to be involved when you don't need him to be because he's being a wind-up merchant, basically. But I think it's completely gone to his head. And I don't agree with everyone saying he's an awful keep, keeper. This no, like, I don't agree with that at mm. all. Because when he does his job, what he's there for, he does save a lot. And that's down to a, a poor our poor midfields and everything that he does have to do that and he does save an awful lot but he has just got a, it's like turned some monster thing of being mm. so overconfident mm. because he's the best goalkeeper for England yeah. and that's what's happened completely what I think well we've seen it before I mean he, he, he laughs sometimes when things go wrong I think yeah. everyone remembers him skipping along the Newcastle the Gallagher end is it when we yeah. went two nil up at them keep fingers to their mouth and all that sort of thing you're 25 years old now, Jordan. You know you, you need to man up a little bit with this sort of thing and, and ha- take some accountability. Going back to what I was saying about that, just session, needs to be serious. You know, well, that's it. That's be, that's yeah. the word. I I don't think he is fully serious at times. And then when when there's a mistake, he completely loses it and flips everybody yeah. around him. He's vocal, uh, which these these are all good traits in in the in the initial. But I feel as if he's developed these skills to be quite detrimental really I want a confident goalkeeper Yeah. I want, I want a keeper who screams and shouts but what I don't want is a keeper that's so confident he moves his body in really you know mm. too extravagant way and it's think always I'm, other people to blame rather than himself yeah, yeah. Like, why, is he, why is he doing that or I want a keeper that shouts instructions to people when we're marking up on corners not somebody who does it after the event mm. so I think he's got foundations in place for him to be this rounded top class goalkeeper that people talk about his catching again probably needs work. He's twenty five. You can you can work on that. He's a baby in goalkeeping terms, but these these errors do creep up yeah. quite often for us. And I think he needs some work, probably more mentally than anything else. Technically, yeah, I feel like there's a lot more to discuss when it comes to Jordan Pickford. Uh, but after the break, we'll talk about some of the positive aspects of that performance. Most notably, Moyes Keane getting off the mark for the Toffees. We'll be right back here on Radio City Talk. We are back on the Blue Room here on Radio City Talk. Dave and Hannah still in the studio. Jordan Pickford debate raging there uh, during the break. Like I said, I'm sure there'll be plenty more to talk about. But, you know, as, as the guys have said, there was 93 minutes of quite decent stuff from Everton on Tuesday night. Um, Hannah, Moise Keane, obviously the, the main the main it's one. Just room. just a big explosion of relief, I think, when he when he got that uh, that opening goal, wasn't uh, it? Especially after the, the one he missed early on, where you're thinking, oh no, it's going to be one of those nights again for him. Definitely, and the atmosphere. Everyone was just so happy for him because hopefully it just broke the bad spell now. That's what we need to get his confidence. And I thought from that goal, especially for about 15 minutes after, the confidence he was playing with, he was putting for balls that he wouldn't normally do. I think it gave him that bit of flair to be like, oh, I'll have a go at doing this now because he got that bit of confidence. But it just made us to see him on the score sheet. And I didn't miss Richarlison with yeah. a big aspect of his performance last night. Obviously, Bernard's made up for the huge portion of that, I'd say. But I de- definitely didn't miss Richarlison with them too last night. Obviously, DCL as well. But I'm so happy he got on that score sheet. And his reaction, the way he was with the fans and everything, mm. seeing how much it proper meant to him, hopefully it just 
broke the bad spell for him now. Yeah, he's did about five or six celebrations there. It's like when you, score, <laughs> when you score on FIFA and just bash the control and your players yeah. doing all sorts of mad things, isn't it? But uh, we all wanted to see the dance. That, I mean, that, that's exactly what I've wanted to see ever since he's yeah. come here. Yeah. I want, I want to see the lad enjoying himself because he seems to be that type of effervescent character. One, one who really wants to express themselves, probably not unlike Jordan Pickford, but he's the striker and he's allowed to do that. Yeah. Um, I felt it was a shedding of the skin for him a little bit. Um, it, it seemed like a real performance of defiance as well. Mm. Like, almost as if he caught wind, obviously he reads social media, he's quite big on social media, isn't he? Obviously he reads a lot of comments. And it's almost as if he decided, I'm not having this anymore. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not having this. And it was a performance more associated with work rate more more of a Dominic Calvert-Lewin type performance I would mm. say as opposed to somebody we probably signed for which is that flair creativity and somebody who'll produce something magnificent a bit of sparkle in a game that'll you know take a draw to a victory type of player it was much more workmanlike mm. than that I thought he was clever in possession I thought the ball retention was brilliant with him he linked up superbly with Calvert-Lewin as well couple of times where I think the that youthful exuberance got the better of him where I think he took a shot on, it was when it was nil-nil, he took a shot on from outside the box and Calvert-Lewin was in acres of space. Yeah. He could have just slid him through. I suppose many people would say if you take that away from him, you take away what he is or what you want him to be, so maybe you don't have such a problem with that. But... Do you know what, though, on that, there was, I think at that point he hadn't scored yet, had he? So there's still this, I've got to score yeah. a goal mindset. But whereas there's one at the start of the second half where he actually does really, he, he basically mugs the defender and wins the ball back and turns and goes... It's it's the exact same situation basically, but he, he plays a ball out to Bernard, and you, you just think like in those sorts of moments now, because I think when he's got in those positions in the past, he has just always had, had the shot of goal because you can tell he's just so single minded about scoring. Whereas now with that weight off his shoulders, you know, hopefully he'll start picking the pass a little bit more, and he, and he did in the, in the second half in that instance at least. Well, people point out the amount of games he's played. He's only made seven starts, yeah. which you know people need to bear this in mind. I, I had a lot of conversations after the West Ham game with people who were. I'm unbeknownst to me, willing to write him off straight away at 19 years old in a new country. All of the all of the caveats we associated with Calvert Lewin at the start of his career, and he's only just bearing fruit now, of course. But with Moise Keane, there's a hell of a lot more layers to it, I think, to him coming over here, and the price tag is one of them. This this huge sort of backdrop he's always got to fight against. I think we we saw what he can do, what he can be, and that's only just the start. If you look at his physical attributes. The guy's a powerhouse. Mm. The celebration there as he runs to the street end, that shot that we've put up on our social media with Theo Walcott's behind him with both arms out. Yeah. You've seen the size of his legs. Mm. They're like tree trunks. Mm. This this guy's like built like Lukaku, the fit Lukaku. Yeah. And and I think he's probably a better technically gifted player. Whether he's a goal scorer remains to be seen. The finish I thought was a little bit fortunate because he gets it stuck under his feet. But he's probably not expecting that from Bernard. I don't think any of us were. Yeah, it was a lovely ball. To, to it, lob yeah. it over the top rather than try and slide it on the floor was inspired. Mm. Got the little bit of fortune through the defender's legs under the goalkeeper and he's off and running. And I think now, this is the time now with managers in the past with us where they'd still bench him if Richarlison was fit. Say we were playing, like you say, on Saturday and Richarlison returned to full fitness and was ready to go. I think many of our previous managers would take him out and completely nullify everything that he's done and got some real momentum built up. I don't think Carlo Ancelotti's like that. I think if Wofford was on Saturday, he'd throw him straight back in. And that's what he needs now. Mm. Run of games, run of consistency, run of being given the ball. And the thing you have to say for him, I think the most overwhelming thing is his confidence doesn't feel like it's it's 
taking the hit that you think it would, given how difficult he's found it in these initial first few months. He's always asking for the ball. He was doing that at West Ham too, and it just wasn't coming off. Yeah. And the point I was making to people is it's so close to working for him. Like he'd asked for the ball back. There was a point in the first half where the ball gets passed right across goal, and it's just in front of Calvert Lewin, and it's just behind him. Yeah, he's at the back post on his own, and I'm like, oh my god, is this ever going to happen for this <laughs> lad? And I think it's in moments like that where you realise that a lot of this is down to luck. Yeah, his application and things have been in question. The, the United infamous now infamous substitution mm. when he was brought off by Big Dunk, he's responded to that. That that's a really positive thing. People will point to the performance, but actually what he's done mentally I think deserves a lot of credit and we need to put more placement on, on that and more focus on that because I want to see a player who when the chips are down is one of the ones that puffs up the chest and he did that yesterday that yeah. that, was, that was a huge yeah. huge performance under immense pressure because I, I'm thinking Richarlison's out and, and, and it's probably the first bit of luck he's got because I don't think he'd be starting if no, Richarlison was fit and I look at that and I think now's the time where you've got a little bit of luck can you take advantage of it and he did and then Everything else after that was a complete striker's performance. He was everywhere. He was hunting everything down. The fitness issue that many people thought he had just wasn't there. It was a performance on adrenaline, and, yeah. I, and I thought it was brilliant. I think he sort of, it was the first time I think he's probably got Goodison as well in regards yeah. to what gets the crowd up and what gets people behind him. And, you know, you're right that there were moments there and they were just little things like him charging after the centre-backs with the ball and you know he's absolutely rapid when he gets going as well you know I think he, he surprised a couple of defenders a few times on the ball but just like I mentioned these on the post-match last night but there's a moment in the, in the second half in particular where he, he gets the ball defenders behind him he holds him off and sort of unorthodoxly just bustles his way through a couple of tackles wins a foul and everyone's like up going you know giving it loads towards him so yeah, I, th- I think he's sort of starting to get the Premier League a little bit more and starting to get what, what we want to see as Evertonians and, and feeding off that. But um, obviously Dominic Carvert-Lewin as well, Hannah. Um, yeah, just it's just great to see him keep scoring, isn't it? It's just it? a and, consistent performance now, isn't it? And I think, you know, when now earlier, you know, go back a year when he, get, when he gets that ball on his left foot in that position in, in the penalty area, you're not thinking goal. Whereas when he got that the ball yesterday, I was thinking this is it in the back of the net straight away. Yeah. What's he on? He's on 12 now, is he? 12 for the 12? season, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's just made up of him. It's something happens. I think it was about what, October or something. He just changed and came into this player that mm-hmm. everyone wanted to be. And it's the confidence again. You feel confidence in being on that pitch without Richarlison. Mm. And especially having someone like Bernard and that on the pitch as well. But no, you, that's the thing. You expect him to put it away now. Like I, like I went to the game last night with my dad and he said, oh, no, fancy keen to get one. And I was like, no, definitely DCL will get one. I go into a game now expecting him to get one, what you should get from your striker. Mm. And that takes me back to Devin Lukaku, expecting yeah. to come out of a game and your striker will put one away. And I didn't think we'd be at this point in the season mm. where he's got 12. I Like this time last year, I wouldn't have thought that at all. I would have thought that from Giffy. Or yeah. Richarlison, I'm absolutely made up with them. To be honest, I couldn't fault them lately. His um, his base level now is very good, isn't it? Yeah. You're looking at he's not starting games, and you're thinking, can he do it this week? Can he not? You're looking at looking at it, and I think he's going into games with right. I know my comfort zone. I know what lane I have to stay in here. I know my role in this side. I'll do that. And now he's doing that thing that makes good players into very good players and adding things to it. His link up play is superb. But I think there has, I think there has been a tweak in that sense. I think he's focusing more now on being in the box as opposed to running into the. Ch- I mean, you know, he did it a few times last night when he got onto the left hand side and you know and did pretty well. But I think he's he's taken more satisfaction now from 
scoring goals as opposed to you know bringing the ball down his chest laying it off and bringing other people into the game it's like his primary focus now seems to have not been helping the team it's I'm going to score goals I think it's something you need to talk about with Matt Cheatham that's just the territorial areas yeah. he's finding himself in it will be interesting to see that compared to previous years gone by when he's been selected as, as a striker because I think again naturally he will pull out into the channels it's much more focused now it helps I think that he's playing in a two because he's allowed to do that then I mean, it looks like the perfect two. That last night, I can't think of a time when we've had two up front going back years who've dovetailed as well as those two. I think there was such a, an understanding because Moyes Keane was just completely in the mood to go hunting for the ball. That's absolutely fine as long as someone stays. It's like a centre-half, yeah. isn't it? If one of your centre-halves wants to bring the ball back, it's fine, bring the ball out, it's fine as long as you've got somebody else who stays there. It's the same for the striker. You've got someone playing up there with you. You know you've got a license to maybe go and do a little couple, a bit of things like dropping into deeper areas than you couldn't do if you were playing up front on your own. He it feels like now he's mastering his craft and he, he's he's really got the bit between his teeth. Not just in terms of goals, but his all round performance as well. We've had we've had players in the past who just scored goals. You think of Yakubu, you know players like that who we've had who are just there to score goals. This fella's more than that, and and I think that's what should be something that really excites a lot of us because he can offer a lot more and I don't know if anybody else has noticed I always used to accuse him I think many others did about how early he used to time his jumps and he used to he used to the ball would reach him as he's coming back down you're like just time that jump a little bit better you've seen him now he hangs in the air for ages he he jumps really early gets his his shoulders and his elbows above the centre half and sort of lingers in the, a bit like what Cristiano Ronaldo does when he heads it, mm. where he just seems to glide and defy gravity for that little extra second longer. To, well, to Kale used to be great at it as well, didn't he? Yeah. He did, and the finish, you're right, I think you, know, you go back maybe a year, Matt, 18 months, and you're looking at somebody who maybe thrashes at that, mm. blasts it wide, but there was a composure, he hits it firm, but he hits it with the inside of his foot to keep that control, goes across from Dubravka, who's diving the other way, mm. it's a really good finish, and he's coolness personified at the minute and there's a lot of calls for England you know my views on that I don't want any Everton playing near England ever <laughs> but uh, the calls for it are yeah, right what's happened to Pitt Mason Holgate's been touted yeah. as getting the call up next hasn't he I mean we don't, I don't yeah. want any of this I don't want any of it I know the majority of the fan base probably do but I just want him starting for Everton and, and that's it for me but he's uh, he's turned into a really good quality Premier League striker Um just to sort of wrap it up then, Hannah. Overall, I think, looking at the, the, the way we attacked last night, it felt like there was a bit of, this is what it's supposed to look like in regards to, you know, the front two, as Dave mentioned there, were great. He dovetailed really well. But I think Bernard's positioning all night was really interesting, you know, playing on the left-hand side, but very rarely actually picked the ball up on the, you know, on the sideline. It was a lot of little, you know, in out-to-in movements and he was driving at the back four and you sort of got the sense that, that's something they've been working on and you know it felt like it was starting to bear fruit and, and those patterns which we haven't necessarily seen over the last few games were starting to develop a little bit yeah everything seemed to work in harmony like everyone was doing what they should have been doing but not being selfish and helping each other out and with Bernard he was doing all that but he also was fancies one himself and when the yeah. opportunity came he was willing to put one away himself as Holgate wanted to do himself they were all up for it as yeah. well at a point but de- definitely, the, even the speeds and everything, that's the thing. We always play backwards and have no speeds. It's because it's like, okay, I've got to think about what I'm doing. 
where you had people like Delvin that with their heads up looking around and knew where they were looking and knew where they were going and it was that speed which made such a big difference and especially I suppose Newcastle like us in a way that they that's a problem they have as well not playing fast and we looked like we were playing so much faster than them and knew who we were going to go to yeah. with Bosmore. Yeah, I mean, the ball retention thing is the big thing I've picked up from Ancelotti because the, there's a patience, but there's patience without dwelling on the ball, which is what Martinez did. We, we all got on Martinez's back for doing that. It just seemed to pass the ball for passing sake. This gets popped around a lot. You have a lot more movement from the people up top. If they can't find a shirt, then it'll come back out and they'll, re, they'll re, recycle the ball and then go for it again. I'm not sure what the passing stats were last night, but if, it must have felt like we were edging on 70% of that game, mm. I would suggest. Because every single time... And, and when you add that to players who are willing to go and try and get the ball back when it's been lost, mm. that's when you get a winning formula for keeping the ball. Ancelotti would probably sit there and say, right, lads, that was really good. We need to add a, a finishing touch to this. We need to add a killer instinct to this. Because let's be honest, we should have been about 4 or 5 nil up at, this, sure. at some Definitely. point in this game. But when we get it, It'll go into the midfield. The fullbacks will push up. They'll leave the two centre halves back there, and if they can't find the talent pass, talent cross, where I think many fans have probably still got it in the system that it's like a Martinez side is, oh, get in the box, get in the box. But <laughs> yeah. they, what they're doing now is playing percentages, which I think is a lot of what Carlo Ancelotti's philosophy is built on. You, 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 every single moment of a football match, he said, needs to be tailored to trying to score goals. But if you can't score a goal, the second best option is keeping the ball mm. to look to go and do it again. And it felt like that all the time. It was almost like a, it, it was cyclical in its nature. I thought sometimes when, when we get the ball, it'll go into feet. There was no through ball on. If there was no neat little pass like Keane's goal on, mm. it'll come back out to the full back. It'll come back out to the centre back. Difference being under Martinez, they keep knocking that about themselves. Everybody had dropped deeper and let the opposition get a chance to set. With Ancelotti, it seems to me that well, it's only going back there for a second because you best all start moving because yeah. it's yeah. coming back that way. And and it was really pleasant on the eye to watch. And again, completely disregarding the scoreline and the calamity at the end. That that was one of the best performances I've seen for a long time from this team. Yeah, some positivity there to finish off anyway um, in the final part of the show. We'll have some more positivity from Dave, who spoke to Graham Sharp last year for our Diaries of an Old Lady series. Uh, we'll be right back here on Radio City Talk on the Blue Room. We are back for the final part of the Blue Room here on Radio City Talk. Thanks very much to Dave and Hannah for going through that Newcastle draw. Very disappointing, of course. Now something that will hopefully cheer you all up, I'm sure. As everyone's aware, Graeme Sharp was appointed to a new role at the football club this week. Delighted for him, obviously a huge legend at this football club. And earlier on in the season, our very own Dave Downey spoke to Graeme Sharp for our Diaries of an Old Lady series. If you've not heard them already, they're all available over on the Blue Room Extra on Patreon. We spoke to Graeme Sharp, we spoke to Kev Sheedy, we spoke to Joe Royal and a lot of our contributors as well. Here's a little segment of Dave's conversation with Sharpie uh, where he focuses on that memorable night at Goodison Park against Bayern Munich. On to Goodison then, which is sort of the basis mm. of our conversation. Um, you experienced it, I think, at a, at a peculiar time because things weren't great when, mm. when you were in and around the club. What were your first impressions of it? Did you feel as if it, it was somewhere that had a massive potential to be a sort of a, a fortress if Everton got it right? Or was it was it a difficult crowd to appease at that time in the early mm-hmm. going when you got your chance? It was, Dave. I've always said that. It's a re- Goodison's fabulous, you know, when things are going well, even in our time, fabulous. But when it's not, it's the hardest place in the world to play. I remember playing there in, in a cup game against Coventry, I think it was 9,000 there. 
and wow, you could hear everything getting shouted towards you. And it's not just that, you could actually see who was shouting it. You know, there's that many gaps in the <laughs> terrace. And so you could actually, so it's a really hard place. And listen, things weren't going well under, under Howard Kendall. Uh, and it was really, really tough. You know, you're looking around at a not full stadium. You know, pockets, obviously, you would, we would win some games and lose some games, but didn't seem to be any uh, consistency in that. But, you know, slowly but surely, you know, and, and through, you know, the, the Sir Philip Carter and his trust in the manager, uh, it came together. But the word they use again is respect. At the time, there was a respect for the football club. There was a respect from the players to the to the management, to the directors, to the chairman, everything else. And it was a proper proper football club it was a proper football club everybody knew the history of it and how it would you know the, the Moorses and and the money they invested and everything else but it was a proper football club you knew that you had to be the best at everything you'd done you knew you had to carry yourself and, and act properly and everything else so there was all this pressure as well you know and obviously the supporters wanted to see a successful team you know and, and even like a similar to now it, it doesn't happen overnight and there was times when Howard was close you know, I talked about the nine thousand at Coventry. You talked about the Oxford game, so these were these were trying times for for not just Howard and the, the, the staff, but the players as well. Mm. But playing at Goodison is great. Don't get me wrong, great. And even even see it now, some players can't handle it. You know, mm. some players who have come from, I would say, smaller clubs, when they get to the, you know, what they need to expect, some some fall short at Goodison. They just can't handle mentally, you know, how tough it is to, mm. to play there. Um. From when you signed to the success that you had a few years later, you've seen it at its best and, mm. and at its worst. Mm. Um, what was it like during the days, before we get onto the games you've chosen, mm. what was it like during the days that it was at its best? I mean, we're talking peak mid-80s when yeah. we're going through our most successful stint as a football club. I mean, do you fully appreciate what's going on around you when you're playing a match there? You do. And the, the one thing that amazed me was... You know, you, you looked at that time and, you know, the, the stadium was full and it was a fantastic atmosphere and everybody was in the high because the supporters were coming to the games expecting to see the team win. Us as players knew that we were going to win the game. You know, that wasn't being big-headed or whatever, but we just had that belief in us, whether it be home or away, we'd win the game. Or if we went a goal down, we wouldn't lose the game, we'd get back into it. So we had this enormous belief and I think the supporters had that as well. So they enjoyed coming through the turnstiles, you know, wanting to see goals, wanting to see good play. And I think you, you look at the team we had at that time and, you know, some fantastic players. Look at Sheeds and, and, and Trevor and both sides. You know, for, for a centre-forward like myself and Andy Gray, unbelievable. You know, when you go all the way through to the best goalkeeper in the world at the time, Kevin Ratcliffe, one of the best centre-backs, we had a great team. And I think everybody realised that and they wanted to get behind it. And the thing that amazed me in those times, and listen... It was difficult times on, on Merseyside as it was in many cities throughout the UK, but the following we used to get was incredible. Even pre-season trips, you know, the other end, the other side of the world, there'd be Evertonians who travelled there, playing strains, automobiles, whatever you want to say, they got there. And it was incredible for a pre-season friendly. So that was the thing I think it struck me and I thought, wow, you know, these guys are, this is this is proper. You know, these are proper fans. This is what, what it's all about. And we, we heard about the there's success in the, in the 70s with uh, the Holy Trinity and the players here and then before that as well. And we were well, well aware of the history of the football club. We were made aware of that as well, that what we had to try and emulate. So it it was 
tough time, but it was a good time, you know, mm. because, you know, we, we, we all came together at the right time and we had this belief in ourselves, but the crowds were, were, were fabulous. The crowds were absolutely fabulous. And people say nowadays you draw comparisons and you just went there and you knew as a player, you had, and I always say this to people now, you knew as a player, you knew what the Evertonians were all about. If you gave it 100% commitment and had a right good go and lost the game, they'd accept that. They wouldn't be happy, but they'd accept it because they saw the team having a right good goal. They couldn't point any fingers. And I always try and say that to people. And I look at the players nowadays, and, you know, I'm looking at the boy in the ass, even, and, and back of Yoko and going through all this. And lads who maybe weren't the best talented, but they had a fantastic attitude, and you could see the the, the supporters take that. So we knew that we had to roll up our sleeves, and we weren't going to win every game. But if we had a right good goal, we had a good chance of winning it. And that's what we had with a great bunch of lads with the right attitude throughout the club. There wasn't a bad egg, and Howard has to take a lot of credit for that as well. He was very good at the players he was bringing in, made sure they wouldn't disrupt the dressing room. Uh, so it was a great time, and, and the fans loved it. That's a, that was the most important thing. We were great as players, but without the backing of the fans, we wouldn't have been anywhere. On your three greatest moments mm-hmm. that you've given me, um, I think I've ranked these in the order in which you'd have them. So to start with the third... First, it's the four all against Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've put Bayern at the top, yeah, uh, and obviously the uh, the winning the league two mm-hmm. 0 at home to mm-hmm. QPR second. Would you say that's probably fair? Yeah, I would say so. I think obviously the Bayern game for atmosphere was was incredible. You know, the other two for atmosphere were incredible as well. But the Bayern one stands out. But you know, the I'm I'm looking at it and I'm thinking the four four game was a derby game. Anything can happen. But at that time, the clubs were really, really close in terms of fighting for honours and everything else. But I'll remember it and, you know, looking at it and looking back, all of Liverpool's goals were really good goals. All of Everton's goals were scrappy, <laughs> scruffy. And that was just part and parcel. That's what's made it such a great game. You know, you're looking at one stage and thinking John Barnes bending one in the top corner and go, wow, then me getting on the back pass and scuffing it in the, the net kind of thing from a yard out but it was a great game to be involved in and I remember walking off it had everything, it was passion as I talked about before, passion, commitment you know from the fans, tackles getting won and lost and everything else and blood and guts but coming off and I think it was with Gary Ablett as I walked off and I went wow, what have we been just involved in there what a game that was Staunton drives an early ball down the near side Ratcliffe caught in possession by Rush now clean through, goal number 24 is it Rush round Southall, no amazing goal line clearance Beardsley tried to back in and it's a goal for Liverpool Hinchcliffe, terrific defensive header though now into the far post and it was a terrific header Trouble art got half a hand to it now Beardsley just outside the area where he likes to be, shot with the left foot oh, brilliant goal that's a magnificent goal from Peter Beardsley. There isn't a better player in the game, really. Ghosting away from a couple of Everton defenders on the edge of the area. Long clearance, oh, oh missed by Liverpool. Couple of the Long clearance by Neville Southall. Real mess between Grubbelar and Ablett. Liverpool have a corner. Near side, their right. Taken short by Beardsley to Mulberry. Lot of space, right hand side of the box. Clips it in. Rush with the header, 3-2. And Ian Rush... Has done it again. The irrepressible scourge of Evertonians gets his 24th goal in his 28th derby. Now McCall, edge of the area. Through ball, looking for Cotty. Unbelievable. And Tony Cotty, 
whose career at Everton has been under doubt in the last few weeks. He's been out of the side, but Howard Kendall is out of the dugout. The Everton manager is shaking his fist towards his players. Barnes, Barnes is really up for it now. He's got so much confidence. Round one, then another. Curls the ball in, great goal. That is an absolutely brilliant goal. World-class finishing. Hinchcliffe, who's controlled by Hinchcliffe. Back pass is a bad one. Suicide once more. You know, and it was, it was really like, wow, because it changed, it kept changing. At one moment, we're out of it, and then we were back in it, and then we're out of it, back in it. And it was a fabulous night's entertainment, you know. And I think both sets of supporters, you know, were just amazed at what they just witnessed, you know, mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. Obviously, <coughs> at the back of it, Douglas resigns, uh, and we win the replay, which is the most important thing. That's what it was all about, winning the game. Uh, but what a game to be involved in! Absolutely, probably the best, best derby game in terms of a game and a match and commitment and passion that I've probably been involved in. Wonderful stuff from Dave and Sharpie there. Like I said, if you want to hear that in full, it's patreon.com slash the Blue Room Extra. We'll put the link up to it on our website and in the description of this podcast as well. Um, loads of really interesting conversations about Goodison Park. We spoke to our very own Mark Mosey. Sarah Halpin's on there as well. Dr. David France, Adam Jones, Gav Buckland. Loads of great memories to get stuck into. And that is the end of this week's weekly show here on the Blue Room. Hope you all have a good weekend, a weekend without the toffees. We'll be back again at the same time next week here on Radio City Talk. And as a reminder, as always, if you want to hear a little bit more from us, we are over on Patreon on the Blue Room Extra as well. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Sports Social Podcast Network.